Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to John Davis. He served multiple tours as a combat veteran in Afghanistan, and he, once leaving the military, started writing and advocating for veterans who are transitioning into civilian life. He currently lives in the Dominican Republic, and he's got a lot of great things going on. I'm excited to hear more about John's story and what he's up to. So thank you so much, John, for your service and for being here today. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Thanks, Sarah. And so it's always awkward to respond to thank you for your service. It's always something that veterans is like you hear a lot. And sometimes it makes you feel so happy and pleased. And sometimes there's a little bit of an awkward to it, too. So I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Um, but so my name's John, which obviously you covered. Uh, I got into veteran advocacy when I got out of the military. I feel like every veteran kind of has three lives. You have your pre-military life, your military life, and your post-military life. And kind of as I navigated those transitions, got me really into the idea of transitions, not only for veterans, but also the inevitable transitions that kind of we all go through in life. And when I got in the military, because the military was so all-encompassing, in my life, I kind of felt like I had to feel so many things to fill the void. So I originally uh, got into teaching and I taught everywhere from incarcerated teenagers in New York, teaching in jails to, I taught English in Thailand and Cambodia. I taught youth American Ninja Warrior at a gymnastics gym. And then I started pursuing my education, which one of the great things is the military pays for your school. And while I was there, I started working with student veterans. And my work in student veterans kind of led me to where I'm at today, to where I saw this group that was transitioning out of the military in the college. And that kind of became my obsession to help more veterans not only graduate college, but set themselves up for success afterwards. And so how is it that you kind of first decided to get into the military? I think looking for adventure. I think that there's a lot of reasons why people join the military and everyone's kind of so unique. Um, I wanted adventure at the time I was going to community college and I was far more interested in girls and alcohol than I was going to class or learning anything as a lot of, you know, 18, 19 year olds are. And then only when I went back to college at 30, did I realize how, I don't want to say easy it is, but kind of like straightforward it is. The professors tell you exactly what to read, exactly what to study. So when I kind of started applying my military mindset to my education, I saw how the military instills this kind of discipline and lifestyle in you that can really be effective in higher education. When veterans are really likely to look at their military experience as kind of a disadvantage, we kind of like to highlight, I think it's human nature, kind of just we look at the negativity before the positivity. So it's easy to highlight, oh, I have PTSD or I have these physical issues or I have, you know, a million and one other things and forget about the kind of useful things that the military does for you as well. Like discipline, for example. I mean, I knew how to be on time, which 18, 19 year olds in today's society can barely get that down. So then, you know, you went to the military, um, you served in Afghanistan. What was it like your experience in the military? I was really, uh, 
really opened my eyes to the world. I mean, when you see, when you're walking in villages in Afghanistan and you see these people who live an entirely different life than you do. I mean, I grew up in Iowa and rural Iowa and ended up in Afghanistan as, you know, entirely a different world. So seeing kind of people growing up with no electricity, no running water, things like that. And then also that was the first time I had seen things like gender discrimination, which is something that we all know happens, of course, like you all kind of have that in your mind. But when you're witnessing things like girls not being allowed to go to school and girls being beat for learning how to read and things like that, it really kind of a personal impact on you. There's a, it's easy to kind of be far removed away from things through screens or through the news or through far off worlds. But when you see it, it, it had an impact on me. And that's what kind of led me into getting an education when I got out of the military. And I ended up going to Harvard and pursuing a degree in international education because that's what I was interested in. It initially was education conflict zones because I saw these kids and they were, you know, passionate about going to school and learning, but with bombs falling, with guns going off, that really kind of changes how education works. And a lot of kids in America deal with that as well. If you look at like inner cities to where, how can I concentrate on education when I have all these negative things going on around me? So that kind of led me into the beginnings of personally integrated in higher education to be a teacher. And so when you decided to go back to school, was like your only goal Harvard or did that just kind of end up being <laughs> the chosen place? So I started in my undergrad and I was not a good student in high school and not a good student before I joined the military and community college. And then when I started going to school, I was working with student veterans. I was working for the Veterans Administration, helping student veterans in their education. And when I was kind of like coaching and helping student veterans, everything from helping certify the military benefits to make sure they're, they're getting money for books, to giving campus tours, to all these things, it led to all these really impersonal conversations where I'd see the issues that veterans were facing in school. And I made this list and it was John's college tips and it was 10 tips and I'll give it to incoming student veterans. And then those tips, I kind of kept, had this program going and cycle running with, you know, maybe 50 veterans and enough of them were like, you should write a book about this, about how to go to school. So those 10 tips actually morphed into the chapters of my book, Combat to College, uh, which is kind of what leads me to talking to you today is this book and then everything that came from it. And so what was your experience like being a veteran in school? Because as you just like said, there are things mm -hmm. that veterans go through while they're in school that they are struggling with. So as like non-traditional students and veterans tend to check a lot of the non-traditional student blocks. So you tend to be older. You're more likely to have a family. Or if you're like me, you're more likely to be divorced. You're more likely to need to work while you go to school. You're more likely to have, um, you know, issues like student, uh, like service-connected disabilities. Actually over 50% of student veterans have some type of service-connected disability. And that can manifest in a lot of different things from how PTSD and anxiety, you know, affects you in the classroom to people who have, you know, physical disabilities, everything from missing limbs to, you know, bad, bad, uh, no hearing and things like that. So working with students with disabilities kind of opened my eyes to how student veterans are just have this kind of untapped potential to be more successful in education. So my book kind of guides them hopefully from, freshman to senior and sets them up for success afterwards. But kind of to circle back to your original question, Harvard was something that just kind of 
came because I was doing so well in school, surprisingly. Like I would just go to class and it's almost kind of funny how you're like, the professor said to read chapters one through three. So I read chapters one through three and I highlighted it. I learned it. And then the professor's like, who read the chapters? And I raised my hand and no one else in class does. And it's like, well, I know how to follow orders because I was in the military for 10 years. So if you tell me to read chapters one through three, I'm going to do that. And I kind of surprised myself with how well I did in school and how much I liked learning. Like I really enjoyed the learning process. And then uh, when I was coming up on kind of graduation, it was actually my mother was like, you should just apply to Harvard. I applied to all Ivy League schools. And at the time, you know, that kind of seemed like Hogwarts to me or something. Just so far off, just unrealistic. But I applied and they let me in. So I went. <laughs> and so were you... Um like also working while you were a student or were you able to be a full-time student? Yeah. So I was working, which was so cool. I was working for the veterans administration in this program for student veterans. So that enabled me to not only like, you know, make some extra income while I was going to school, but also feel kind of a purpose that I felt in the military. And that's what kind of a lot of struggle veterans can struggle with is you have this higher purpose when you're serving, you have something you feel good about doing and then when you get out, that kind of purpose that you've lived with and the community vanish. And that's why veterans can kind of get in trouble. So when you're going to school, one of the things I recommend for veterans is you have to refine your purpose, like navigate a second purpose while you're rediscovering your civilian identity and build a community around yourself. Because your community is really kind of like your armor. The people support you. The people are there for you. Um, and you get to build your own team. And so that's one thing that um, I really stress student veterans is don't go at school isolated. Like civilian, we kind of live in an individualistic world, even like hyper-individualistic now with like technology and things like that. But for veterans, building a community and team around yourself is really important. And so then do most veterans go to school after leaving service or do a lot of them kind of go more towards general civilian life, I guess you could call it? Yeah, so a lot of veterans, what I want to do is give veterans, like, one, the confidence that school's for them. So usually about 50% of veterans end up going to college, which to me I found really, um, I don't say unacceptable, but just not good because so many people in America, and I don't know about you, but so many people kind of plunge themselves so deep into college debt, you know, trying to get a degree. And veterans can go to school for free and a lot choose not to do it. But the reality is, and something that, uh, you know, I try to stress is that people with college degrees do better in life. Not only that, but people with college degrees are less likely to kill themselves, less likely to be addicted to drugs, less likely to be homeless, more likely, you know, all these kind of good, good things that come from a college degree. So I wanted to encourage more veterans to go because it, it is kind of difficult going back to school at like 30 years old or at, you know, after when you don't really feel like you fit into the to the rest of the students around. So a big part of what I what I do is just give veterans the confidence that not only is school for you, but you can do it. And so that's kind of a big push is getting more veterans to take advantage of their benefits. And so then did you find that you were able to like assimilate to college life or were you kind of keeping community more outside of college with other veterans? So every school now, which is really nice a lot of schools have student veteran organizations so you go there it's just like any other club at the school but the club that you know i was in 
was all student veterans. So it was nice because there was probably a group of I don't know, maybe 40 of us in this in my college and all of us would, would get together socially. We'd help each other with schoolwork. We'd kind of be there for each other. So forming that community of student veterans in the school was something that really, really was helpful to me. And that's why I tell veterans, hey, pick a school that has a strong student veterans program because that community is a good place for you to find support and to make friends and things like that. Because I, it was difficult for me to relate to, you know, your classic 18-year-old college freshman. When I'm, you know, 30 years old, I've been at war, I own a house, I've been divorced. So you kind of feel like you're an adult surrounded by children. I mean, not so much, but, you know, in a sense, it's certainly hard to relate to your fellow student, to your, to your peers, to your right and your left. Not only that, but in the military, you have this kind of, you know, military culture that's kind of carved into you. And the first thing you have to do is kind of figure out who you're going to be as a civilian. I mean, we kind of have our own culture, our own language, our own way of telling time, our own lifestyle. So transitioning out of the military is a big enough challenge, but then transitioning into college is kind of like adds on that. So what was it like transitioning out of college to like you went from military life, you went to now I'm like sitting in front of an educator and like being a student while also juggling things to no military life and no, no <laughs> college classroom. <laughs> then it's, then it's kind of like freedom. So what was nice, what's nice about what I do now is, you know, I'm totally remote. So I live here in Dominican Republic and, you know, that's such kind of a gift that you can have in today's world that when you work from your computer, you have that kind of freedom of travel. So where I live here, over 20,000 American veterans live here in the Dominican Republic, which is kind of fascinating, but you think, you know, I have my military retirement, which obviously goes a lot further in a place like this. And you're also kind of removed from some of the day-to-day stresses of the United States that have kind of cropped up in recent years to where it's a more kind of stressful device environment. And for veterans, we don't really like that. You know, we don't like to see people kind of neighbors fighting against neighbors or the political divisions and things like that. So it's good to be able to separate from that. And for me, what's helped me most in my PTSD, you know, that I've suffered from, from my combat experiences is connecting with nature. And here you have that kind of connecting ability to connect with nature that I think is a very healing thing for veterans where in society today, um, you know, we're quick to prescribe pills for something when, Sometimes Mother Nature is an effective healer as well. And so what was the process like to move to the Dominican Republic? It's a lot easier than you think. So this is like the easiest country in the world to move to. You just show up and you just you just live here. I just rent an apartment. I mean, it's because I, I had been so used to traveling in the military. And then when I got out of the military, you know, I'm teaching English in Thailand, which is, you know, culture shock for most people. But I've been so used to kind of like moving, living out of a suitcase, that kind of transitory lifestyle that traveling kind of made sense to me. It just kind of like clicked into something that felt good. And it was really a way for me to kind of connect with myself again, like deep, like kind of de- deconnect, for, I guess, from like everyday life and reconnect with myself. So, you know, I ended up, I was first traveling to Asia, like staying in hostels, like eight, nine dollars a night and then got into teaching. And moving here actually happened when the pandemic started because they were one of the only countries accepting foreigners 
And I was living up in Boston, finishing up grad school at Harvard. And I could not deal with all the bars being shut down, all the gyms being shut down, the lack of human contact and things like that. That was really a mentally difficult thing for me to like stay six feet away from people at all times when I community was something that I really valued. And so can you share a little bit about some of the culture shock and different cultures you experienced in Thailand and other places that you have been? Yeah, for me, like, since I've been here, I've been learning Spanish and that's been an incredible thing. You know, that's Americans are like the only people that only speak one language. If you go anywhere in the world, everyone else kind of speaks something else. So kind of being, you know, connecting with that has been, has been great. But also one thing the military gives you is a certain level of resiliency to where, you know, because I moved all around the States. I moved, you know, over to the Middle East and have been to all these countries, done these things that it kind of made me develop a resiliency that I feel like really served me in, in kind of crafting my, my uh, post-service life. Because for, for veterans, that those transitions really determine our futures. And nobody really gets it right all the time, those life transitions. And every veteran's transition out of the military is incredibly unique. And that's one of the reasons why veterans struggle or seem to struggle so much with things like, you know, homelessness, divorce, suicide, drugs, all those types of things, because you, there's no blueprint for what you're doing. You're moving across the country or the world. You're re-entering society. There's no like guidebook to follow on how to find success as a civilian. So one, one thing that I really worked on is, Hey, start at college that's a good place for you to kind of refigure out civilian identity and figure out what you want to do post-military. Now, would you be willing to share a little bit about the fact that you got divorced and like where that fell in your timeline? Sure. Um, so they, uh, one thing the military does is we have higher divorce rates than like civilians do, but it's also because you're kind of financially incentivized to get married and you're also more likely to make kind of rash decisions when you're 18, 19 years old, about to go off to war. So I'm about to go off to Afghanistan and it seemed like a really good idea to get married at the time. But the reality is people change so much in their twenties. I mean, those were such formative years that if you get, you're an entirely different person at like, you know, at 19 than you are at 29. And that's something that kind of just kind of happened over time, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything. There wasn't any uh, crazy stories or anything too crazy. It's just people, you know, drifting apart, I suppose. And and the military life is very stressful. I mean, she had to, you know, my ex-wife, she had to, you know, I said bye and I left for a year. And that's, and then you also have to deal with the stresses of, um, you know, not knowing if I'm safe, not being able to talk to me. I mean, so it's, it's difficult to, to do long distance relationships and in life, let alone the military. Right. So what was it like? Being away from home, you know, because, you know, parents, siblings, stuff like that, that, you know, you were away and, you know, didn't necessarily know what was going on or they didn't know what was going on with you. Yeah, I think it's, it's more stressful for other people than you probably because you know what's going on. And also for me, it was almost, you know, I was kind of immersed in it. 
So you don't really like, I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have bills to pay. I didn't, I wasn't worried about like day to day life that most people are worried about. All I was doing is my job and really focused on that. So it was kind of like, it was almost freedom in a certain sense from your normal day to day life. I mean, just being that disconnected was really something that, and just when you're have real purpose, that's why veterans are usually, you're good over there and you come back and you stop living with that purpose. It's kind of when you, when you get yourself in the trouble. And that's when you dive into drinking or the negative things or whatever. Because when I first got back, you know, I, I was struggling like a lot of veterans do. And then they, you know, the VA or the military is very quick to, to kind of put pills on you. Like you can't sleep. Okay. Take a pill for this. You know, you have anxiety, take a pill for this. And I mean, medication certainly has its place. I'm not as anti-medication as I might sound. I do think that the over-medication, the over-medicating of people sometimes only exasperates problems instead of fixing them or just puts a Band-Aid instead of actually solving your issues. So that's one reason why, you know, I write on my website about nature therapy for veterans, about alternative therapies, because sometimes if, you know, you're just going to sit on the couch and take pills and a lot of veterans think that's going to do the work for you, but you have to do the work to kind of like, spur on your own growth and healing right now can you share why you left the military yes i got a medical retirement i was uh some explosions in afghanistan that gave me some uh you know bad migraines head issues back issues things like that um and those problems kind of got worse over time and then the military is you know i wouldn't say kicked me out but they you know like hey we're gonna you know give you medical retirement and that at the time was um, something that I, you know, it, it's kind of a blessing and a curse in some sense. Cause, okay, you know, I had, I was planning on being in the military my entire life, you know, not my entire life, but you know, I was planning on doing the whole thing until 20 year retirement. And then kind of getting that redirection was, was um, a challenge. And that's when I decided education would be good for me. But the first time I, the first time I really taught is I started out like traditional education for like normal seventh graders. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with the kids. I couldn't deal with the kids. Cause kids today, I shouldn't say they're terrible, but the parents can be a problem as well. And then, you know, kids will curse at you. They'll refuse to do things. They'll give you a hard time. And I feel like even growing up, you know, a generation ago, we, it was, it was kind of a different ball game. Like I wouldn't tell an adult. No, I wouldn't person an adult when I was a kid and now that was kind of common and then it was cool when I started teaching in the jail because then you have kind of more more freedom and the kids I don't say they're almost more respectful and then if they're not you can just like send them back to the jail cells so it was one of those kind of weird education things um and that was kind of that was sometimes rewarding and sometimes extremely you know emotionally difficult because a lot of the kids would you know they have these really difficult lives. I mean, they are facing these incredible circumstances growing up from a very young age where it's almost like, of course, you ended up here. I mean, you know, it, you didn't really stand a chance in life. So it was another thing that gave me a lot of gratitude for growing up. Like I grew up with the kind of privileges that I had and then seeing that side of life and Afghanistan really kind of made me live with a day-to-day -day gratitude that I think, you know, a lot of people don't, don't get to have.
Right. Now you mentioned that, um, you know, you did kind of fall into some of those stereotypes and struggled with the transition to civilian life. So what pushed you to get into education and kind of end up on this upward path? For me, it was helping other people really helped me. Like when I, it's really easy to see the the problems that other people have and harder to see the problems that you have. Like I can look at things and be like, oh, you shouldn't do that. And then like I look in the mirror and be like, oh, okay, like I'm doing the same thing. And I do everything from like, kind of like life coaching to student veterans. So when I was doing that, it was so simple to be like, oh, well, just stop drinking and go to school, go to class every day, you know, kind of simple fixes for, for problems. And that really uh, opened me up to, um, to helping myself was through helping other people. And that kind of made me also because I was coaching them, it made me want to be like a role model for them. You know, like it really, it really made me want to be someone that people could come to and all those things with, with their problems. Right. That makes sense. Now, are you still very much connected with the Veterans Administration? Um, yeah, I'm very, um, I do like day-to-day coaching with veterans still. I have veterans message me on, you know, Instagram, on different things who are in schools. I have, uh, I speak to student veterans groups uh, fairly frequently. So over through Zoom or even in person, you know, I'll travel, I'll go talk to student veterans. So that's really been, been something that's been incredibly rewarding was to, to continue doing this mission. That's what one thing the book has uh, really enabled me to do is to continue the, the mission of helping people. And I, cause I constantly get emails from people and messages about, you know, they came across my book or, or any things like that. And so is there kind of a typical student veteran that, you know, they're in similar stories to you where, you know, you were like in your thirties or is it a wide variety of service levels? Oh, it's such a, it's a wide variety of people. Some people do three years in the military, some people do 30 years in the military, but all of that really affects, really has an impact on your life. You know, it doesn't really really matter how much you do. And I think that I never really pictured myself writing a book. It really wasn't something that like I had ever sought to do in my entire life. And actually what was cool about my book is I did two editions of it. So the first edition I did entirely on my own, like just kind of, you know, typed up a word document, edited it myself and self published it. I think I said the F word in it like over 30 times, just cause it was me just kind of like laying out kind of just my incoherent rambling thoughts, but also kind of in a useful way. And then the Association for the United States Army caught on to the book and they actually connected me with the publisher who does military books. So they connected me with the publisher and I got to rewrite the entire book and do a second edition with like a real publisher, with a real marketing team, with, you know, kind of the real professionalism that you would expect. And that was something that was such a growing experience as a writer, like, and, and a thinker was got to think through my ideas in a deeper way and work with this professional college group things like that. So it was something that was kind of made what I feel like my book is unique because I got to do it twice and you kind of get the raw aspect of, you know, the emotions and the passion while getting kind of the, um, the polish, the professionalism. Right. So you didn't see yourself as an author, but now you had this chance to work with a publisher. So are you working on a second book? 
yeah so i'm I feel like i'm working on like three books because it's, it's it's cool when you kind of open up the creativity gates and that kind of comes so i did a student veteran semester journal and it's a 16 week guide to a college semester kind of for people to, it's a kind of a a, a partner to the book but it takes you through week by week. It has things like schedules, has things like financial planners, because your economic health does, you know, weigh a lot on your overall mental health. And so it has things like your budgeting, it has goals, it has tips, it has all these kind of college tricks in it. So that's like a short kind of journal book that I sell. And then uh, working on a book uh, that hope gets out before the end of the year, uh, another book geared towards veteran issues. So my first book for student veterans and my second book is kind of for all veterans. And so now what is that, that kind of your day to day looks like with everything you've got going on? Um, so I, like I said, one thing that's, I think it's very important to be busy. I try and be as busy as you can. And sometimes it's kind of like, oh, so my demons don't catch up to me. I'm just going to stay busy doing things. And one thing that uh, veterans do more so than civilians is we volunteer more. So veterans are more likely to volunteer, have higher hours of volunteering and things like that. And when I was uh, going to Harvard, another name drop, one of my best friends there was uh, an African guy that I met there. And he invited me to come to Africa. Uh, this was like two years ago. And so I went to Africa with him and I started working for his organization. So I'm getting ready now to go back to Africa uh, in like 10 days. And what we do is we try to provide uh, rural health care in Senegal because there's a lot of rural areas that they, people don't get to see doctors very often. They don't get the kind of um, you know resources that we have. So we work to try and provide rural health care and education in these areas in Senegal. So that's something that, you know, is, is kind of taking a lot of my time now as we try to kind of prepare for that. And I do a lot of the data analysis and grant writing and things like that for the organization. But this is kind of like something where I've seen that kind of like poverty and stuff in Afghanistan and seeing it as something that like once you see it, it's like, oh, I got to do something, even, you know, whatever small it is. Um, so the organization, we're, we're, we have a health fair coming up in March. So we, we see like uh, a few thousand patients and we bring doctors in from all over the countries to these remote villages and I kind of help coordinate some of it. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds really exciting. And as you talked about, you know, giving back is so important. So you're helping a lot of people um, through various things. Are you still managing, you know, your own personal, mental, physical health, PTSD and all of that? Yeah, I think everything is kind of a balance. So like I mentioned earlier, for me, like I got into things like, you know, meditation when I was in Asia and then here connected with nature. And what's beautiful about living in the Dominican Republic or just living close to water is, you know, the, the ocean is really kind of a healing force to where like, I, that's why so many people, you know, vacation to, to the water because just seeing the ocean as something provides a measure of calmness and tranquility. So I get to do things like swim in the ocean, which most people don't get to do on a day-to-day basis. And where I grew up in Iowa, I think you'd have to drive like 20 hours just to just to find yourself in, in the ocean. So balancing my own mental health is something that uh, is still a struggle, you know, because I used to I used to take a lot of sleep medication, and I you know I kind of fall my way off of that 
as I kind of found nature and then so it's it's definitely something that doesn't really go away but helping other people has certainly certainly helped me and that's why I tell veterans hey if you don't know what to do just start helping other people just start contributing to the world because everyone does have a responsibility I feel like at least to, to have a positive impact on themselves at the very least and you know the world the most definitely yeah that is so important now you've mentioned how you've traveled a lot and moved around a lot do you think the dominican republic is going to be kind of like final resting spot that you're going to be there for the rest or are you going to continue to keep moving well i just paid my rent i just signed my lease for another year so i'm here for at least so if you want to come down, if you want a vacation next 10 months, you know, let me know. I, I got a, I got a spot on the beach for you. But uh, I, I like the idea of leaving it open and kind of seeing where life takes me. And if I can continue to kind of stay, you know, stay remote. And if I can find, you know, continue to find success with the writing and being able to earn a living that way, then that's something I'll definitely keep doing. I think that I'll stay on the move. I, I don't know if after living outside the United States, for so long, it's I almost feel like it would be difficult to come back because I don't I don't have a car. I you know I just kind of walk everywhere. It's 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 pretty nice. Well, it's like on my Instagram, I'll I'll be posting pictures of lions, me with lions in like two weeks, and also like helping people and things like that, and then doing veterans nature walks here in the Dominican Republic. And so it's it's kind of something like I mentioned earlier. I I try and stay as busy as I can, you know, in my day to day life as well as. Uh, to you know just to just keep keep ahead of it right now do you think you know kind of the busy life being able to be remote has the past you know three years and everything that's changed in the world do you think it's made it like easier or harder for veterans to assimilate to civilian life i think the like like i mentioned earlier the community is very important and when you kind of take away community, you definitely take away a big, a big part of yourself. So I think that veterans kind of did good and bad throughout coronavirus kind of in a weird way, because the military does prepare you for, for things like hardship. It does prepare you to be resilient, but you also are used to doing everything as a team. When you kind of break away the team aspect of things, it, it, it can be a struggle. And the military is not immune from you know, the mental health epidemic that's kind of gone through the United States. So we are seeing, a, you know, kind of a bigger numbers in the veteran statistics as far as problems go. So one thing that is important whenever you think about problems is to think about the protective factors that can help impact those problems. And education was always such a strong one for me because when I looked at it, I said, okay, uh, you know, people with college degrees, they make more money. And obviously who doesn't want more money? People with college degrees, they get divorced less. Obviously they suffer less from things like homelessness because you know they're, they're able to find more economic opportunities. So college seemed like such a good bridge between the military and civilian world. And that's why I wrote my book to kind of guide veterans from one side to the other, because the beauty of the military is they do provide this opportunity to go to college. I mean, you work for it, it's earned benefit, but just the opportunity to go to college for free and graduate with no debt is truly just, you know, a, a great thing in today's world and one that I want more veterans to take advantage of. And does the military do a good job of making sure that veterans know those sort of benefits that you receive? 
I would say that they, they, they certainly make the benefits aware when you're joining, you know, like kind of like an incentive to join. And right now is an interesting time because we're facing the biggest military recruiting crisis in, uh, since like the end of the Vietnam war, since all volunteer military. So the army is missing the recruiting numbers, by I think like 15,000 people last year. So, you know, quite a bit where we're struggling to get people to join the military. And a lot of that is because the military is, you know, a family business. So 80% of people in the military report having a close family member that serves. So it's kind of like, you know, fathers join, sons join, mothers join, daughters join. It's a family type thing. And people kind of have seen some of the issues in the military that, you know, are likely to make the news. Things like veteran suicide, obviously the Afghanistan uh, pullout was kind of a debacle and something that, you know, a lot of military members uh, struggle with, you know. Um, so the military is really struggling to, to recruit people. And one of the reasons is because they, they don't, the government doesn't treat you as well as they should on the way out. They don't do a good enough job to help set you, help you set yourself up for success. And what do you think could be done better? to help set up for success? I think treat the military better. So, you know, it's obviously something that in order to fix like the recruiting, recruiting problems or is the best thing is just to be able to point at this and say, look how people who serve in the military, how much it benefits them. And when you only see the negative side, the, you only see the problems in the veteran community or guys with like the homeless veteran signs, then it's very difficult to convince people like, Hey, I want to go sign up. I want to, you know, I want to do that. And sometimes the way Hollywood portrays veterans does more harm than good. Cause they kind of, you know, if you think of any like veteran or military movie, it's kind of like, Oh, people with PTSD or with alcoholism or who beat their wives or kind of like a lot of those negative things instead of showing that the really cool things that we do. Cause I got to do so many amazing things that weren't really, uh, weren't really what you think of in the military. Like I got to escort like dental teams in Afghanistan, like, and do all this amazing medical work. We got to help open up schools for girls in areas that had never seen something like that before. So it's kind of like, we have to start highlighting the positive things we do and starting from like, I think young education. And one of the things I advocate for is I think all, you know, students growing up in America, America should take a field trip to uh, military bases, not to learn about like, guns and bombs, but to learn about like first aid and teamwork and physical fitness and things like that. Things that, you know, anyone can, um, anyone can see the positive effects of. Yeah. Now, what was your military base experience like in terms of joining and enlisting? Well, I did not know much about the military at all when I joined and I, I went and I said, Hey, I want, at the time I was actually going to school to be a firefighter. Because I thought that would be interesting to me. And I was kind of like, ah, that's kind of... So, but one day we went and I got to tour a fire station. And I saw that, not to hate on firefighters or anything, but I saw firefighters, you just kind of sit around and wait for something to happen. You know, it's a very reactive profession. So you wait for an accident or you wait for a fire, you wait for something, and then you go out to do it. And I kind of kind of saw this not being for me. I wanted to be more like proactive. So I went and I talked to all the branches of the military. And at the time, Afghanistan was kind of kicking off, you know, this is like maybe mid, mid 2000s. And the army guy, 
he said, hey, we'll send you to Afghanistan in like two months. I said, okay, sign me up. So I signed up and then two months later I was in Afghanistan. It was kind of like a trial by fire thing to where I didn't really feel prepared for it at the time. But looking back, sometimes you got to jump in the deep end, you know, instead of taking it slow. So my experience was, was good joining and not so good getting out because the military, they put all, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month in training and they're making you a soldier. And then when you get out, they're kind of like, okay, go, you know, go figure out your life. And it's hard to do when so much of yourself and your identity and your purpose has been wrapped up into the military. So it sounds like you might not have been one of the high statistics of having a close family member in the military. No, my grandfather was in the military for a short period of time. But uh, me, I was I was really looking for the for the adventure and looking for, I think, the um, the kind of discipline, kind of the kick in the ass to be like, hey, you know, do something with your life that a lot of young people, I think, need. And I think once you find that kind of um, that kind of purpose, it, it really kind of is like a guiding light to keep to keep going towards. And I think that's one of the hard parts about growing up today is it's difficult to kind of find out. It seems like more difficult to find a purpose, you know, a life life trajectory in America, you know, 50 years ago was a lot kind of more simple. Like it was kind of like you have these jobs, but now the possibilities are like endless for what people can do. And you see all these like, you know, now kids grow up and they're like, oh, I don't want to be in the military. I want to be a YouTube star. And that's such, you know, might be a little unrealistic, but that, that's what young people want to do. And so what would you say your newfound purpose is? What would I say my purpose mm-hmm. is now? Yeah. So I have like a purpose statement. I think having a purpose statement is important. So my purpose statement is I help veterans through education and fitness. Because I think fitness is one of those things that provides something that, uh, that a lot of other things can't. It provides a way to better yourself. It provides something to, um, something to focus on. And I, when I first got in the military, I joined an all-veteran fitness team for a little bit. And that was really cool to be able to like work out together because one of the things the military does is obviously emphasize physical fitness and being healthy and getting to work out together and meet all these different people um, was really rewarding. So now I'd say my purpose is you know, helping veterans and through that, I feel like I help myself. Right. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners today? Sure. If you, um, my website is johnhdaviswriter.com where I write what I feel like is a good, a good monthly blog article. So if you want to go check that out and I'm looking to, uh, you know, you can follow my Instagram. It's johnhdaviswriter. If you want to see some of my African travels or some of my Dominican adventures, please check me out on there. And, uh, if there's anything I can do to talk to anyone about recovering from trauma, whether it be military members or not, you know, feel free to reach out. Of course. Great. And it's, it's so wonderful, you know, how open you are to others' connections and wanting to help. Now, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question. So my question for you is, what kind of art do you enjoy most? What kind of art do I enjoy most? I would suppose anything about the natural world is what I would have to enjoy most. Anything that depicts, you know, mountains, streams, and any kind of in any kind of way, anything that any kind of art, any kind of natural art, I think is good. And even you know, like patients and hospital rooms, they 
they heal better if they have like uh, garden views or green views or things like that. So I would say the kind of art that that moves me the most is anything uh, depicted in a natural world. All right, that brings this episode to a close. So as John just mentioned, you know, he's got a website and Instagram. So I'll be leaving both of those in the description. So you can feel free to go follow his Instagram, see what he's up to in Africa upcoming, along with everything else he's got going on. And of course, his book is on his website and the blog that he mentioned. So feel free to go check all of that out and connect with him. And of course, if you'd like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as well. That brings you to all of our past episodes, which includes some other veterans. There are stories out there as well, so feel free to go check them out. The website, of course, also includes all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So feel free to go follow those pages as well. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, feel free to send me an email that is directly in the description. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, that is always appreciated. There is a link to do that as well. So thank you so much, John, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. It was great talking.